Good seeing everybody today. Um, it's a little nicer outside. I hope you stayed safe uh, last week during the winter storm. Um, but thankful that you know, it's a little warmer and uh, no more storm, uh, at least for the time being. Uh, before we go any further, uh, I'd like to just make a quick announcement about the upcoming Lord's Supper, uh, which is happening on March 19th. Um, just maybe sharing uh, this one devotional I had this past week. Uh, personally, uh, you know, God really convicted me during that time, and uh, the conviction was that I should remember, um, you know, Christ and His sacrifice, um, you know, through my days and weeks. And it led me, led me to pray for our church, pray for our upcoming uh, communion, because that is what that's for, you know, remembering, you know, Christ and His sacrifice for us. Uh, so I'm really excited. I know God can, you know, really bless us through the presence of Jesus during that time. Uh, so we're very excited too. So if you are uh, participating in it, uh, please use this time to prepare your hearts. Um, believe it or not, March 19th is uh, less than a month away. Uh, it's going to be March uh, next week. So uh, please uh, use this time to um, examine your hearts and, um, you know, repent and confess for any, you know, overt or any covert sins uh, in your lives. Uh, because we studied, you know, from 1 Corinthians 11 that, uh, we do need to take this seriously because it has to do with the uh, you know precious body of Christ, um, and Paul does give warnings too for good reasons. Uh, so please um, uh, prepare you know your hearts during this time so that it will be a worthy manner that we do this as a church, uh, and it will be a good preparation for you know Good Friday and Easter too. We'll be having we're going to be having another communion uh, on Good Friday, uh, so. It'll be a good sort of a you know midpoint uh, checkup for us as we do this on March 19th. And lastly, for uh, you know those of us you know who are uh, participating as uh, non-members of our church, uh, the interviews are underway. You know we had some uh, this uh, afternoon uh, before the service too. Uh, and if you are uh, still considering participating in the communion on March 19th, but have not signed up for interviews yet, please do so as soon as possible, uh, as soon as possible. And just to remind you, again, we do this because uh, in light of 1 Corinthians 11, we want to take the warning seriously and we want to care for everyone uh, in our church uh, for this, uh, you know, uh, sacred moment uh, during Lord's Supper. So uh, please, um, you know, do so uh, if you are so interested. With that, let's uh, go into the time of the word together. Uh, we'll be continuing on in the, the Book of Galatians series. We're going to be starting chapter 2 today. So I'll be reading Galatians 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. And I'll uh, read and pray afterwards, and we'll um, continue on uh, after that. But let me read the passage for us. Uh, so we can hear from the Word of God directly. Uh, Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10. It says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. 
I went up because of a revelation and set before them, uh, though privately before those who seem influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, uh, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be the pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. That is the word of God. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are uh, in your presence right now, and uh, I am so thankful that we can gather around your word and get to hear from you. God, we need more and more of you. God, what would our life be uh, apart from your presence, apart from your existence? Help us, God, to draw near to you. May your Holy Spirit cleanse our hearts even right now, um, get rid of any distractions from our hearts so that we will hear directly from you through this time and get to be convicted of um, what you are calling us to in our lives, God. Be with us, be with me as I deliver your word. Help me to be clear and help me to have your strength uh, during this time so all the glory may go to you because it is all by your grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Three points for us to follow along. Uh, Those are uh, standing firm for the gospel. Second, heeding God alone for the gospel. And third, working together for the gospel. And the title for this message is Contending Together for the Gospel. First, standing firm for the gospel. Look with me. Uh, to verse 1, it says that after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. Uh, Here, Paul is continuing on in the story of his life and ministry. You know, we've been going through that, and uh, particularly last week, we looked at his testimony, and now we're continuing on in in the aftermath of that. Uh, It says 14 years, after 14 years, likely since his conversion, You know, uh, Paul is going up to Jerusalem again, and this time he is taking his friends and co-workers, namely Barnabas and Titus. You know, we'll look look at them a little closer uh, later on. 
And verse 2, he says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was running, I was not running, uh, or had not run in vain. Uh, we'll look at the details of this verse because it's significant to understand the details later. Uh, but for now, you know, we see that you know, during this particular Jerusalem trip, uh, Paul and his friends had a private meeting with the uh, uh, the apostles, you know, the, those who seem influential, we'll see later that these refer to the apostles, uh, especially James, John, and Peter. Um, so they had a, this, you know, a private meeting uh, regarding the gospel. But then there arose a controversy, we read, uh, involving Titus. So verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. The Greek means, you know, Gentile, non-Jews. So apparently there were some people, you know, who demanded uh, that Titus be circumcised, uh, you know, because, you know, he was a Gentile. And we've seen so far, I mean, um, we alluded to this here and there throughout this letter so far, but you know by now that circumcision was a big deal for the Jews because it signified that uh, entrance into this people of God, but also in, uh, alluded to uh, the commitment to obedience to the whole law of the Old Testament, in addition to all these you know, human man-made laws and rules that the rabbis came up with. Um, and they thought it was you know, uh, nonsense that the Gentiles would not be circumcised in order to become Christian, and that, that's what the argument was about. But to their disappointment, we see here, uh, however, that the, the apostles in Jerusalem that Paul met with did not force any Gentiles, not even Titus, even though he, you know, he was sitting right there. You know, they didn't enforce that on him, which means that the apostles agreed with Paul and his gospel as opposed to the, the, the Jewish or Jews or false brothers, as we see, uh, because they agree that the Paul's gospel, which emphasized more law-free, the faith alone, was in line with God's will, not uh, circumcision or you know, law-keeping gospel. But now that it's settled, Paul will move on to expose uh, these people who uh, demanded uh, Titus' circumcision because this was significant for the gospel. So look with me, verse 4. It says, Yet because of the false brothers uh, secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. So these are, Paul calls them, uh, false brothers. Uh, he doesn't mince any words here. Uh, people who claim to be Christians, brothers, uh, but in their hearts and actions, they really do not know or believe in the gospel. Meaning, you know, these people, by emphasizing circumcision and you know, law-keeping, uh, their theology is really about earning salvation by human efforts. You know, essentially, they believe that you know, God owes people salvation because of their good deeds. And this is a dead-end theology because it won't save them. How can a man, a woman, uh, cancel out all their sins before the holy God. 
just by doing some good deeds. Nonsense. And this is slavery, Paul calls it, because you know, they would make people be obsessed with their performance and be anxious all the time before the holy God. And it will lead to death, not life. This is a bad slavery. But in contrast, this is an important point. Paul is saying gospel is freedom. It teaches that Jesus died the death that we deserved for our sins. And he lived the perfect life that we should have lived. And we are called to simply receive this salvation as a gift by faith. And being covered by his righteousness, you know, we are justified before God. And we're included in his people forever. And now we freely live for God. Meaning, we freely work hard to become better, to, um, to grow, to be more like Christ, not to be saved, because we're already saved, but we do it out of our own will to love God more and to, um, to, to be better people for God, for his glory, as saved people. And verse 5, to them, to the false brothers, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. you know, because this has to do with the, the essence of the gospel, Paul did not you know, you know, resist, Paul did not uh, give in to the pressure from these false brothers. Because if he did, then he would compromise the gospel and the Gentiles would be yoked into the slavery of uh, earning salvation system. So Paul stood firm for the truth of the gospel. And I think what that means is in our lives too, we must also uh, stand our ground against any pressure that we may feel in the world to give in to the performance-driven lifestyle. Let me illustrate this way. If you're next slide, um, you know, Madonna, um, he, she's a superstar of our, uh, the older generation, perhaps. You know, she sold over 300 million records in her career. And she accomplished many you know, other accolades, you know, as well as you know, huge popularity all around the world. But she said this uh, uh, following uh, words in an interview with the Vogue mag magazine. So I, I put it up there uh, for you to follow, but here's, here's what she said about you know, her life in general. My drive uh, in life comes from a uh, fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Now, very honest, and I appreciate this, appreciate this a lot about what, what she said. But let's just be very clear and sober about um, what she said. In no you know, derogatory way, 
Another way to say what she said is that she is insecure, meaning that she sees herself as uninteresting or having no worth unless she works hard to achieve something that would make her look special. But that's something that she achieves, you know, wears out quickly. So she has to keep, you know, working to gain that thing that would make her, you know, special or, or extraordinary. And then, you know, it, it, that wears out too. So there's this cycle, a lifelong cycle, or we would call that slavery, uh, that she is still in, even now. And I can tell you that that is essentially the, the theology of the false brothers that Paul is talking about. Uh, for them, salvation, you know, the, the, the righteous standing before God does not come by faith. So by default, you are uninteresting. You are not worthy in their mind. So you have to keep working hard to perform well in order to earn the worth and value for yourself. Slavery. And I would also argue that this is the theology of our current world, too. I mean, how often are we led to believe that you know, how well we do in our you know, careers and school and relationships define our worth? That theology is still alive and well. But the gospel frees us from this slavery because we receive by faith, not by working. We receive it. Receive the infinite value of Christ simply by faith. And we are free to live for God's glory. So we must resist this pressure to conform to um, you know, these you know, false gospels in our own lives as well. Not just Paul's time in our day too. Second, heeding God alone for the gospel. So Paul goes further in his argument, verse 6. He says, And from those who seem to be influential, you know, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seem influential added nothing to me. So here Paul is really repeating essentially you know, what he said in the last chapter. Uh, which is that he does not need uh, you know, approval from these apostles in Jerusalem in order to validate his gospel because his validation comes from God directly. And here, just to clarify, uh, when, when Paul keeps repeating the phrase, those who seem influential uh, you know, to describe the apostles, you know, he doesn't seem to mean any disrespect. You know, they were, undoubtedly, they were uh, influential. So Paul is acknowledging that. But at the same time, you know, instead of calling them apostles directly, he is calling them by, you know, those who are influential. Uh, he's really highlighting what seems, you know, on the outside. Meaning, the implication is that uh, for Paul, apostles are, you know, inherently humans like him and anybody else. So, because God also shows no partiality based on the external credentials. So Paul will not elevate these apostles in any way or you know, to the level of God and even celebrities, uh, things like that, simply because of their title or 
credentials or whatever they experienced, you know, being eyewitnesses of Jesus while he was on earth. You know, most importantly, Paul, you know, will not let these apostles, um, you know, influence or add anything to his gospel. And what that means is, again, he does not need anybody to tell him what the gospel is. He already knows because he seeks God's validation, not humans, especially the apostles. So we see verses 7 and 8. It says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the circum- uncircumcised, such as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. So here, apostles saw in Paul's gospel ministry the powerful work of God. Uh, the word work uh, in verse 8 uh, it translates the Greek word energeo, which, of course, uh, where we get our English word energy from. Um, and Paul normally likes to use this word energeo to describe the divine superpower that works in his ministry. So if you go to the next slide, uh, in Colossians 1.29, it says, for, for this I toil, Paul saying, you know, struggling with all his energy that he, God, powerfully works within me. And that power uh, was demonstrated um, throughout Paul's ministry. Ex- uh, for example, in uh, Acts 15, uh, next slide, it says, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders you know, God had done through them among the Gentiles. You see, the apostles and people recognized the validity of Paul's gospel ministry because of the signs and power that was present in in Paul's ministry. Again, he didn't need people's approval. He just needed God to validate his ministry and his gospel. And what that means to us uh, for for believers is this, that there will be temptation for us to try to find validation of our worth and value through people when people affirm us, that, 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 that's going to make us feel better, and that's what we want in our lives many times. But what we need to do in order to stay grounded in the gospel is to seek God's validation. What God says of us matters as opposed to what people say of us. To illustrate, um, I don't know if you have seen this uh, movie called uh, The Truman Show. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's a very deep movie. Uh, it's a very interesting movie. Uh, let me explain for those of us who haven't seen it. Uh, it's a movie about this guy named Truman, um, you know, played by Jim Carrey. And at first glance, the, the main character, Truman, seems to be just a normal, regular, 30-some-year-old guy, but he's not you know, ordinary. He is actually a star of a hugely popular reality show, uh, on TV, and to be more accurate, here's what's what's weird. Truman doesn't know that he's a star. He doesn't know that he is starring in this show because this production company adopted him when he was a baby, and and they raised him and had him grow in this 
you know, reality show. There are cameras everywhere, and they put him into this movie set, you know, resembling the real, you know, suburbia. Um, and they, like, documented, you know, his, his life as a reality show. And that the viewers would, um, you know, watch this, watch him, Truman, you know, live his daily life and, you know, grow and go through the different episodes. And in this world, you can imagine, um, again, Truman is the only star, like a real star. Everyone else is actors, right? Even his parents. Can you imagine that his parents are actors? Um, so meaning, you know, everyone around him, even his parents, um, tell him what is not true about the world and about who, who Truman is. They only tell him, you know, things that would sell, things that would um, help, uh, you know, the, the show keep going, not, you know, what is helpful for Truman. They have no really regard for Truman himself. But then, throughout the story, there's one person, uh, Sylvia, who is outside of this show, who uh, starred in this show as an extra, but she had such an empathy and uh, anguish for Truman, so she got kicked out because she was protesting against the show. And this, this lady tries to free him. So she tries to reach out to him, tries to tell him what the truth is about the world and about who Truman is. And she's not the only one. She had other uh, people in this group against this show who try to tell him the truth. Um, I'll, I'll say, I'll argue that this is a good picture of our world too, meaning that uh, the whole world um, tries to tell us things that sell, you know, things that would keep the worldly system going, right? You know, they would tell us, find your worth in what you do, you know, find your worth in what you buy and possess, and, and find your worth in your sensuality in how you feel, because that idea sells. But there is one outside of this world who genuinely cares for us, you know, who, unlike Sylvia, did succeed in entering this world to not only tell us the truth, but also to rescue us. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's the one that tells us who we truly are. He's the one that we are to listen to, not the world. And you know, even you know, in our own lives, we know that uh, these people mean well, you know, such as you know, our bosses, our parents, our friends, people, um, you know, they try to help us in many ways, but they tell us things that are not quite aligned with the gospel. And they um, make us focus on our worth in the worldly things. But the Word of God says something very different. Let me use the words of Jason Gray, who wrote this song. Uh, it goes like this about who we are. It says, you're forgiven, beloved, hidden in Christ, made in the image of giver of life. You're righteous and holy, reborn and remade accepted and worthy. This is our new name. This is who we are now in Christ.
And that is what we're to listen to, not what the world says. The question is, you know, which authority do you listen to? And which one matters more in your life? God's voice about who you are or what the world says? Heeding God alone, God alone for the gospel. And lastly, working together for the gospel. So at this point, I admit that it may feel like the message of Paul in this passage is to ignore everybody else. <laughs> just listen to God. You know, just you know, focus on Him, and everybody else is tune out. But that's not the point. Let me explain. Let's go back to the beginning of the passage to see the context of uh, Paul's visit to Jerusalem, and that, that will explain why he's saying these things. Verse 2. Uh, it says, I went up because of a revelation and sat before them, though privately before those who seem influential. The gospel I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. So there are two reasons why Paul went to Jerusalem. First, uh, he said there was a revelation. You know, according to Acts 11, you know, where Paul and Barnabas were in the church of Antioch in Syria, there was a prophet named Agabus um, who gave a prophecy or a revelation about uh, this great famine happening all around the Roman world. And in response, the church of Antioch, uh, they collected donations um, to send to the people in Judea because I guess uh, the people of Judea were prone to poverty. So they collected these donations and they sent uh, them to uh, Judea through Paul and Barnabas. So that's the, that's the context to this trip. Uh, Paul is in Jerusalem right now in order to support materially the people of God in, in that region. And secondly, uh, the reason why Paul is here is because uh, he wanted to present his gospel for confirmation uh, with the apostles. Um, the context here, again, is the Jews, uh, like we, we've been saying, uh, were voicing concerns about Paul's gospel because of the nature of inviting Gentiles into God's fold without requiring them um, of uh, circumcision. So Paul is meeting here um, with the apostles in order to have them affirm his gospel in front of these critics. That's the context. Uh, but to, to clarify here, um, when, when Paul says here that he's concerned about, you know, running in vain or, you know, having not run in vain or having run in vain, um, he's not saying that the validity of the gospel uh, depends on what the, uh, the apostles, apostles will say about his gospel. Because that goes against all he's been talking about, all his arguments, right? He's been saying, my gospel does not depend on these guys. It depends on God. So that's not what he's saying. What he's saying, the, the reason why he's saying he doesn't want to be running in vain is that um, he anticipates that if the apostles were to reject his gospel, if, if they disagree with his gospel, then there will, there will be fissure. There will be um, you know, friction and even divide in the church, particularly between Jews and Gentiles, right? And if that happens, it's going to be a big schism, uh, which will lead to perhaps the demise of 
Christianity because at the time, Christianity was very young and vulnerable. And if that is the path that is going to turn out, then Paul will indeed have been running in vain because all his efforts for the gospel will go down the drain. So that's what, what, that's just, this is what he means by he doesn't want to be running in vain. That's why he wants to confirm whether his gospel is in line with the apostles. So he is presenting the gospel, uh, hoping that you know, they'll be on the, on the same page and they will you know, work together for the gospel and, and keep the unity of the church. And thankfully, it turned out successful. So we see verse 9. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be the pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So James, Peter, and John, they're called pillars. It's Paul is in, uh, picturing the church of God to be the temple, new temple, where there are leaders who are the pillars supporting the whole building. So these are big deals. Uh, the, these guys are big deals. Um, and Paul is acknowledging that again. And these guys uh, supported Paul. These guys gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, which signifies you know, approval, signifies agreement and friendship. So they uh, agreed to work together you know, with Paul and Barnabas for the same gospel because that's what they have. But they agreed to work together uh, in different spheres um, because Paul was more called to the Gentile context while uh, these guys were more called to the Jewish context. And that's what they agreed upon. So there was agreement among these pillars of the gospel. But there is one more. Verse 10. It says, Only they, the apostles, asked us, Paul and Barnabas, to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. I think at first glance, it may seem a little random that they want uh, Paul to remember the poor. Why? Why? But in context, which is how you read the Bible, in context, this all makes sense. Because we said earlier in verse 2 that Paul is in Jerusalem right now to do what? To support the poor, the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. So what, what apostles are saying, or what they're asking Paul to do, is continue to do what he's doing. Continue to do what the Gentiles are doing to support the Jewish Christians. You know, people will be united in, in the church of God. That there will be supporting of one another for different needs that people have. And that's what, again, they agreed upon. Again, they agreed upon the gospel, and they, they agreed upon working together, and they agreed upon um, supporting one another within the church of Christ. And I want to say, as we apply this to our context, uh, Paul and the apostles are modeling for us uh, what is important for church community. You know, believers, here's the point, believers are together in a local church like CLC to keep each other, uh, each other accountable about our understanding of the gospel. Whenever we get together, we sharpen one another about what the true gospel is. Just like Paul did you know, when he presented his gospel to the apostles. There has to be accountability. 
so that we stay grounded in the gospel. But not just that, we support each other for our different needs that we have, whether it's physical or spiritual. You know, physically, Paul supported the Jewish Christians for their poverty. For us, it can be any other, any different needs that we may have. But now, do we just stop there? We just support one, support one another and we sharpen one another? Is that, is that all? Here, what's important is the ultimate purpose of all of that as a church is to go out and serve people outside of the church in the different spheres that God has called us. Again, that's what apostles did. Some were called to Jews, some were called to Gentiles. Every believer is called outside, outward, outside of the church to serve different spheres of their ministries. This is not a perfect uh, analogy, I, I know, but I like to see, on next slide, the church as pit stop. I don't know any, any of you are, uh, uh, what's that called? Indy? NASCAR. Why did I say Indy? Something that has, it has to do with the Indianapolis, right? Indy 500. Thank you. All right. I got to just keep my mouth shut when it comes to sports. <laughs> Anyways, um, NASCAR. So, pit stop. I'm not an expert, obviously, but I know what pit stop is. I think everybody knows what pit stop is, right? It's a place where racing cars would stop, and there's like a lot of things going on, right? Like all these like crews come out and change tires, and they check upon the health of the car, and da 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 da. And then the goal is to um, you know get the car back out. The goal is not to you know have the race car after fixing everything to coast in the sideline. And then, you know, like that's it. No, the goal of pit stop is to, you know, make the car well so that the car would go back out and compete. That's a good analogy, analogy in my mind because a local church just like ours is a place where we get together to, again, check up our understanding of the gospel with one another. And we support each other to make sure that we are equipped uh, in our, in our uh, understanding and, and our spiritual health. But again, just like Pit Stop, the goal is not for us to have a grand time inside. You know, we don't just coast here uh, after supporting one another and having our health checked up. Our ultimate goal as a church is go back out and serve in different spheres that God has called us. And what's beautiful about the Church of Christ is every one of us has different spheres. I don't have the spheres that you have. Some of us are called to different, you know, uh, you know, work settings, family settings, um, you know, friend group settings that I can never reach out to. We're in this together, therefore. Each one of us has different callings that God has called us. And we get there by being equipped and healed and um, prepared and supported from one another within the church. That's what this is all about. 
my prayer and hope for CLC uh, as we see in this passage is that we do stand firm in the gospel, resist any pressure and temptation to minimize the glory of glorious doctrine of how God regards us as righteous simply by faith alone. And we do that not just for the intellectual exercise, but so that we can live it out as a church as we serve in different spheres and we support each other to do so, whether for our physical or spiritual needs. And may we do that to be faithful as a church. Let's pray together. As we uh, you know, process this message and the word, and as we uh, respond to this word through the song and uh, prayers, I think the first thing I want to encourage you to do is uh, really rest in God's grace. Um, some theologians call uh, you know meetings like this and especially the sermon times and uh, you know sacraments, uh, you know Lord's Supper. We call them the means of grace. You know, God is um, restoring our hearts through these times because you got to remember that you know you are accepted by God through Christ alone, by faith alone. You know, you don't have to earn this in any way because nobody can earn, uh, earn um, this God's grace. We just simply receive by faith. And I would assume, I would imagine that many of us, if not all of us, come here with the burdened hearts. Uh, you know, day by day, you have lots of toils to go through. Not only that, perhaps, when you come home, there's other things to do. Uh, where can you find rest except in God? in the finished work of Christ. So we do that when we get together like this as a church, you know, reminding one another that we are loved apart from how well we did in our projects, in work, exams, whatever. We are loved in Christ. So could we meditate on that together before we uh, respond with the song. Just um, remind our hearts and um, our, ourselves of the gospel to stand firm on that we are righteous in Christ. Let's pray together.